0: We are, um, we're going to do uh, our uh, communion before the message tonight. There's a particular reason that we're going to do that. Um, we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4 tonight. And what I want to do is actually start with where the story ends. Um, the book of Ruth is a little bit like the movie Titanic. In the sense that when you go and see Titanic, pretty much everyone knows, spoilers, the ship sinks. And one of the big questions that the book of Ruth is answering is what is the origin story of King David and the bloodlines of the king of Israel? And it all has to do with the faithfulness of one woman whose name is Ruth. And that's what this story is about. So we're actually going to start with the end of the story because where the end of the story is, it leads us right to the table. So if you are physically able to stand, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight. And we're going to pick up with Ruth chapter 4, starting with verse 13. And then I'll make a couple of remarks, and then we're going to, we'll start our time with the table tonight. So verse 13 of Ruth 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The, woman said, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, she has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And this, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The thing that this all sets up is that Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, which means that Ruth is the greatest king in Israel's great-great-grand... Great I've added too many greats. Ruth is David's great-grandmother. And the bloodline that Ruth is able to pres- preserve and to establish is ultimately the bloodline that leads straight to Jesus. So today we're going to explore a text about a faithful woman who bears responsibility... For preserving the bloodline of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's where all this is going. So today what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table before the text. Because we have the opportunity to celebrate the end of the story even as we're seeing it unfold. And the reason that that is important is because every single one of us today actually knows the end of the story. But here in the present we are watching it unfold so we get to celebrate the end even though we're not there yet so I want to invite our communion servers to come up and you can stand right here on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body this has been broken for you and then he took the cup and he poured it and said this is Represents my blood, which is spilled for you, and it's the wine of the new covenant. And he asks his disciples, He said, Every time that you come together in this manner, you are celebrating what it is that I have done. And the thing that we remember today as we as we go and we look back at the book of Ruth is this doesn't happen if that doesn't happen. Like there is no table if there is not a faithful woman who actually steps into the things that God is calling her into. And so the thing that Ruth doesn't know is that where that is going to ultimately end is in a table and a Messiah who is going to save all of humanity. In the same way, you do not know the way that the Lord wants to use your life. Your response today in coming to the table is simply, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do with my life, it's yours. Like wherever the chips may fall... They are yours to play. And so when you are ready, the scriptures say that we should examine ourselves before coming to the table. But this is a table for all of God's people. And so as you're ready, we want to invite you to come and partake of the blood and the body of Christ. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus is... We come fully into your presence tonight. We ask that you would orient all of ourselves, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, every fiber of our being towards what it is that you're doing here tonight. Allow us to be fully present with what your Holy Spirit is doing. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. We all say together, amen. So I want to do a quick review of where we have been in Ruth. We're in the fourth chapter, which is the final chapter of Ruth. Um, So if you have a Bible, now would be the time to turn to Luke, uh, Luke, to Ruth chapter four. Um, So a lot has happened uh, in in the book. And so I'm going to give you like where we left off last week. So where we left off last week, if you look at, at Ruth chapter three, verse 13, it's Boaz saying to Ruth. He's like, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stay here for the night. And in the morning, I'm going to take care of some business. And tomorrow, like we're going to find out if this marriage between you and I is going to work. And so at this point, like the choice that Ruth has, she doesn't have to, but the choice that she makes is she lets Boaz kind of like take the baton from there and we'll see what happens. And that's really where we pick up in, in Luke chapter, I keep saying Luke. Ruth chapter 4, but the the thing that really understand is that this book is written a couple of hundred years after the story is told and so we all know that, like, we, like, we know the ending. But the people who, who are putting together this book, they know the ending to this. They know this leads to, like, the greatest king that Israel has ever known. Who, to this day, is considered, in the nation of Israel, the greatest king that they have ever known. And this, in many ways, is the origin story. Like, this is, like, how did Spider-Man get his powers? Where did Wonder Woman come from? Black Panther, how did that happen? Like, that's this story. And so it's, it's kids around the campfire whose parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles are, are talking to them about like t- like with wide-eyed wonder, where did David come from? Like this king of kings who was like this worshiper and this warrior, how did he get to this place? And the book of Ruth is the answer in many ways to the origin story of where David come came from, where his bloodline came from. How is it that this little boy with a stone, was able to slay a Goliath. Well, you have to look to Ruth to understand the answer to that question. Like, for for me, like, what I want more than anything else is I want someone to make a documentary about, like, the origin story of the greatest basketball player the world has ever known. I want the documentary about LeBron James. That's right. It is LeBron James. Tonight... I thought I would get a little more on that, but that's fine. What this chapter is going to do is it's going to answer some of the questions that have been introduced from the very beginning of the book that are still sort of like hanging out there. There They're these loose ends, these loose threads that that are going to be pulled together um, that are really going to finally land uh, some big answers that have been hanging out. So here we are, we're going we're to read through these 13 verses of Ruth, but we're going to break it out chunk by chunk. So we're going to read the first four verses. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. So meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, so that this is the man that he has the business that he has to settle with if this thing with Ruth is going to happen. This man comes along and Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he went to the kinsman redeemer. So this man he has some business with and says, Naomi, who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother, Elimelech. I thought I would bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. If you will not, then tell me. So I will know for no one has the right to do it except you and i am next in line and the guy looks at him as like i will redeem it all right so there is there is a lot that is happening here cuz what we've essentially done is we have stepped into an episode of something between like law and order and suits and there there is there's what we've actually done is we have stepped into a legal proceeding And it would be really difficult to know what it is that's happening because there's so much that is like culturally bound in this Hebrew culture that we might miss. And we'll we'll pick up some of those things. Um, But one of the big things that we're going to see is that what what Boaz does is he goes to the town gate. So the gate is going to be about 14 feet high. It's seven feet long. It's made of iron. And on either side of the gate, and there's a wall around the town, on either side are going to be two large meeting rooms. And so he's sitting just like, right outside the gate and he is wait like just walking pe- watching people walk through the gate walk through the gate going to their work and finally he sees the guy that's like all right this is the guy that we've got to do some business with and so he is here sitting where all of the legal proceedings and he's like hey brother have a seat we have a matter that we need to discuss and so this guy knows what's happening he's like okay there's there's some sort of like legal thing that we have to talk through so step B or step two in this is he now has to find 10 people who are going to speak into what is it, what, what's happening. So he, there are a bunch of elders in the town of Bethlehem and he essentially finds the first 10 that he can find. He's like, you, 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 and you, we're going to go meet in this assembly room. The problem is the assembly room isn't quite big enough. And so you might have Boaz and this guy standing at the door and then the elders kind of curving out around them because there are too many people to fit into one of these small rooms on either side of the gate. So we now have like a mini spectacle and you're going to see over time as we get a little further that that it's going to, the number of people who are watching this, it's going to grow. So he gets these 10 elders together and ultimately this is what's in dispute. Um, the The way that you read this and the way that you probably hear this is that it says that Naomi has something, a piece of property that she's trying to sell. The problem is that there isn't a Hebrew word that equates with the English word of what is actually at stake here. And it's this word, I'm I'm going to, it's a funny word, and I'm going to make you repeat it, because I like to make you repeat funny words when I have a chance. It's the word usufruct. Say usufruct. That's terrible. Usufruct. All right, so this is, what this does is it's going to help us answer a question that's been hanging since like the third verse of the book of Luke. And it's this, why did Elimelech and Naomi, why did they leave, even though there was a famine, why did they leave? the place where they are from, Bethlehem, and go all the way to Moab, this other place. Because it would seem that they had a better chance of making a living here, even though there was a famine, than somewhere else where they didn't know anyone and they didn't have any protection. Well, because this is what, this is what this verse starts to give us an insight into. Elimelech had gotten to such a place financially and the things were going so poorly that he had a piece of land that was passed down from generation to generation to generation that was owned by him and his family and no one else was allowed to own that land. And at some point he sold it, which he was allowed to do. And in some ways this was actually a really smart thing for him to do the way that everything was set up in the, in the in the nation of Israel is it would never allow someone to be in poverty for very long. Because every 50 years, there was this thing called the year of jubilee. And it meant that any time, like, I, I'm struggling financially, and so I sell you my piece of land, my family piece of land. Every 50 years, the entire slate is cleaned. And everyone gets their land back. And some people, they've been put in such dire circumstances, they sell themselves. And in the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, it could be three years before or 49 years before, but every 50 years, boom, slate is clean, everything is set back to the way that it was. No family is going to be locked in poverty forever. And so what a does is he sells his piece of land to someone, and at some point he, he might have just been living off the money or he might have made a business investment and it doesn't go well but he knows this isn't going to be like this forever because the year of jubilee is going to come and my sons, they, are going, that is not going, they will eventually get this piece of land back. And so it seems like he made a decision, it's better for me to go to Moab, make it work there, try to last through the storm that is this famine and eventually I'm going to get the land back. That's a calculated risk. That risk didn't work out. Why? Because he dies. In Moab, he dies. Who else dies? Both of his sons. And the only people that can get that land back are people who are related to those two sons. And so what they're trying to do is to figure out who is the closest person to those two sons, and it's this dude who Boaz has hunted down. He is the one that has the claim to that land. So someone else owns it, and Yusufrect fun word usufrecht is the process of trying to find the closest person related to them who can then go to the person who owns the land and get the land back because this guy who owns the land it's in his best interest to sell it back why because when the year of jubilee comes he's got to give it back and for zero dollars and so again it could be 20 years before year of jubilee or two days it's in his best interest to sell it back that's what's happening what, what Boaz is trying to figure out is, does this dude want to try to get the land? And if he doesn't, I'm the next in line to negotiate with the man who owns it. Does that make sense? It's really important to the story, but it is complicated. Like this is actually, like we are in a court case right here. That's is what is actually happening. All right. Naomi is not selling the land. It's already been sold. What he is trying to do is to negotiate a buyback. He started to buy back the land. And the guy is like, yeah, I kind of want the land. Thank you. I didn't even know that I was the closest person, but you have told me. Boaz, you're a good man. I will buy that land. Thank you. Let's keep reading, because Boaz is about to get the best of him. Verse five. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot. All right, this is where Boaz, like he gets super clever here. I mean, he, he, he is starting to like weave like this chessboard where he has is, he is just checkmated this guy and the guy didn't even see it coming because he knows that the ruin of a bloodline the ruin of a bloodline in this culture is one of the worst things that could possibly happen in the nation of Israel. Like, and, and so to, j- just to give you an example, there is a very specific curse that you can pray on someone out loud. And it is it is the equivalent of like the Avada Kedavra curse from Harry Potter. It's like, you don't use this thing because it, it has ramifications that you don't understand. And this, this was the curse. It was may your seed perish and may your name die with it. And you would use that with the name of Yahweh over someone. And it was like, you never, ever, 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 under any circumstances do that, unless, like, this person has done something that should never, ever, like, you see what I'm saying? The bloodline and the the, the killing of a bloodline is the worst thing that could happen in this culture. But here's the thing, neither Boaz or this other guy have a legal obligation to marry Ruth. They don't have to do it. But what we know from two weeks ago is that Boaz is not a letter-of-the-law kind of guy. He will follow the letter of the law, but he is constantly looking for the spirit of the law. He's looking for the spirit of it. And he believes that there is a moral obligation to take care of Ruth, to take care of her family, to take care of Naomi, and to take care of the bloodline that she carries. And not to do this, not to just profit off the fact that her husband died. He's like, there's an opportunity for him to simply profit off the fact that Ruth's husband has died, and Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech, died. And Boaz is like, I know we can follow this letter of the law, but something feels off here. And so what Boaz is challenging the other man to do is to operate in the same way that he's operating. And so this is what he has done. He gets this dude, and he's like, hey, buddy, There's something that we should talk about together. But before we talk about it, let's get a crowd together. And so he gets the 10 elders of the town. There are more than 10, but he gets the first 10 that he can find who have this like moral, righteous, upstanding, holy life that allows them to weigh in on cases like this. And he gets them all together. And then he basically says, hey, what you should do is not ask, how little can I do according to the law? But buddy, what you should be asking is what's the right thing to do? with a family member whose bloodline is about to go extinct. That's what, and, and he does that right in front of everyone. So Boaz has just set the stage in front of everyone, is basically saying, all right, dude, let's see what kind of man you are. Are you holy? And what, what Boaz is doing is giving him four choices. Choice number one, you can take the land and you can marry Ruth. That's the first choice. Second choice for the guy, you can take the land you can pledge to marry Ruth and then you can renege on your promise. Does that make sense? Number three, you can pass on the whole thing and I'll do it. Or number four, you can take the land and you can just be like, look, the law doesn't require that I do anything with Ruth and I'm not going to. But what Boaz has done is put him right into a corner. I mean, this is—I mean, he's, he's, he is playing chess with someone who is clearly playing checkers at this point. And he has put him into, because he's like, there is is only one answer to this question. And so the way that the man owns it is this. He's like, look, it wouldn't be good for me to take this on in my business right now. And he's probably right. Because one, either he takes Ruth and that creates all kinds of issues for him. Because taking on a mother-in-law, taking on another mouth, and then taking on children that they might have, and taking on new property and paying out to buy the property and the buyback, that's a lot of money that he's got to invest in that. So he may not have the financial holdings to do that. On the other side, it is like, if I I say I'm going to marry her and then I don't marry her, no one is going to do business with me. So he has one answer and Boaz has put him into the corner and it's like, hey, you should pass. And so that's what he does. He's out. Let's keep reading. Verse seven. And this is like in parentheses. It's kind of funny. A couple hundred years later, they're trying to explain why this thing is about to happen. Verse seven. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Aisha? Got a little Nike sandal here? So, like, if, if, if Aisha and I are the ones who are talking—I know, you just hate this. If Aisha and I are the ones talking— like, I've just really embarrassed Aisha in front of this entire group of people. i put Aisha into a corner. i put Aisha into a corner. And there is no out for her but to say, like, no, you take the land. And so what Aisha does is she takes off her sandal and is like, fine, take it. And when, when the sandals pass from one party to another, it's like I have just signed a legal document. And then it's been notarized. In the way that we would do it in our courts today so again we are right in the middle of a suits in law and order episode so that's that's what it is it's just happened we still don't know who owns the property we never actually know who owns the property we just know that boaz is now the one with the rights to negotiate the buyback we all tracking all right but this is what's been done for a By preserving his name and the names of his sons in the town records, he's refusing to let them disappear. It guarantees future heirs can represent them in court at the gates just like he did. So let's pick up. He says, buy it yourself, you remove the sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malon. If you'll remember, Kilian and Malon are the two sons who died. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife. So basically he has not acquired her. He has acquired the right to ask her to be married to him. In order, that the, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. If the name disappears, so do the rights to go anything uh, legal like we just saw here. So that his name will not disappear among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. So like a there is a, there's a crowd that has grown over time with this. And let's keep reading verse 11. Then the elders and all those at the gates. So it was just 10. It has grown. Said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and may you be famous in Bethlehem. Through the the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, originally, like we said, there were just 10 elders there, but clearly a, a crowd has gathered. Because people are curious how this whole legal thing is going to end. It's not like this stuff happens every single day. And it's not like they have Netflix. This is binge-worthy, what is happening right now. And what this crowd is asking is that whatever children Ruth has, that their heirs would be nation-builders. Well, who is Ruth's great-grandson? David. And further down the bloodline, it's Jesus Christ. Through Ruth, not only is a nation built... But what we are literally talking about, literally, is the rescue of all of humanity. This is what they say, Lord, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the nation of Israel. These people who had gathered at the gates, they had come to witness something, but they left prophesying. They let, like, not only would this be a nation builder, the great King David, this would be the one who would unite all of the nations in this bloodline in King Jesus. And they didn't even know it. At least for me. Look, the the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is about a woman of honor who refuses to trade her honor when the worst circumstances hit her. When she is given shortcuts and she is given end-arounds to cheat the system or to make different choices, she refuses to sacrifice her honor. The book of Ruth is about a faithful woman who bears responsibility for preserving the bloodline of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The book of Ruth, we've talked about this every week, is about Hased, which is about God's loving kindness. So, Just think about this for a second. How many different ways in this story could it have gone a different direction and the bloodline is gone? Like, where there is no King David because the bloodline is gone, there is no Jesus Christ because the bloodline is gone. But the Heset of the Lord, his loving kindness, would not allow it to happen. It was God working out his divine purposes in and through Ruth. It could have gone in this other direction, but like, it was like God takes his hand and just through Ruth kept steering. It. it was like, I'm about the rescue of this nation and every nation in all of humanity to come. And there is a king, yes, in David, but there is a king who's a king who's a king way more than David ever could be. And we just happen to be on the other side of that where we see where it's all going. This is the big thing. For Ruth, she didn't know. Like, we have the privilege of reading this a couple of hundred years after this happened when they wrote this down, and then 2,000, 3,000 years after they wrote it down for the people who were originally hearing it. We have the privilege of knowing where the story ends. Ruth didn't. She had no idea it was leading to David. She had no idea it was leading to Jesus. She just knew she would not trade her honor. And no matter what circumstances came her way, she would not trade it. There was all these different ways that this story could have veered this way or this way or this way, but it kept veering towards the loving kindness of the Lord doing something, weaving something together. I'll give you an example of like why this is important. Um, And it's a, it's, I'm not gonna say it's a stupid example, but it is not like a Ruth-like example. So a while ago, I met a girl whose name was Elizabeth Anderson. That is her right back there. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> i met i met elizabeth at a christmas party and so clearly we met in december um and a, a couple of, uh r- right after we meet um she goes out of town for a while and then i go out of town for a while and so like i had every intention of asking her out very quickly i liked what she was <laughs> she's wonderful uh, and i could I picked that up very quickly i 'm very intuitive like that um, but i I, I actually didn 't have her number i f- I ended up finding her on this little platform that only half of you might know called MySpace. <laughs> if that doesn 't date me i don 't know what does. so she goes out of town for she goes out of town for like a week and then my my uh, college roommate was getting married, and we were doing as you do, we were doing a uh, like a bachelor's week on a frozen lake in Minnesota. It was terrible. But it's, I mean, it's it's December in Minnesota on a frozen lake. What do you do? I mean, like we're not ice fishermen or anything. Uh, so I uh, we I flew into uh, Chicago uh, where I had gone to school, and so I was visiting a friend. And uh, we, there's no such thing as Wi-Fi yet. There is only these things called internet cafes. Which, for those of you, which is most of you in the room who have no idea what that is, it's, it's like a store that you can go in and you pay them to use the internet. And there aren't laptops, you just use the desktop that is in front of them. And so I log on to MySpace, uh, and I'm with my friend Carrie, and we are, uh, we're, we're kind of like, I was kind of like telling her about Elizabeth, this girl that I had met. I really liked Elizabeth. And then, like, I started to write, Elizabeth sent me a MySpace email. I don't know if it's Messenger or whatever it was called, whatever Tom came up with. Um, For those of you who don't know what MySpace is, that is an inside joke. And so, like, I start to construct an email that I'm going to, that, that I'm writing to Elizabeth. And my friend is there sitting next to me, and, like, I think she was getting bored. And so I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I wrote? And then, like, right in the middle of this email, I wrote something funny. And then I would delete, 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 delete. And then I wrote something funny, and I was like, oh, that would be funny if I wrote that. Delete, 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 delete. And then I wrote something funny, and then I just kept writing. And then I hit send, and clearly thought that I had hit delete, 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 delete. I did not. Elizabeth is a very special lady, because what it is that she did, almost within, I don't know, five to ten minutes of sending it, And she takes a screen grab of what it is that I had wrote, and she circles it, and she highlights it, she stars it, she underlines it, and she puts an arrow around it, and she sends it back, and the only thing it says is, what? Because the thing that I had written was, I want you to bear my children. this could have gone a lot of different ways. (laughs) So (laughs) we have the privilege of like 14 or 15 years later seeing that like this story landed well, (laughs) right? Here she is as beautiful as ever, the mother of three children, love her more today than I've ever, you know, yada, yada, all the nice things that you say when you have a microphone, time on MySpace, sitting in an internet cafe with my friend carrie in chicago this could have gone a lot of different ways like it could have gone this way where like i actually caught it and i deleted it and i sent it because ultimately what i did at that point is like i mean what do you do like i wrote and sent to this person who i've met one time (laughs) i want you to bear my children i don't know what what plays you have left after this so it's just been like yeah so um <laughs> i wanted to do this in in public in private but like face to face but i was going to ask you out but clearly the cat's out of the bag so would you like to go out after new year sometime and on january the fourth we went out and we have essentially been together ever since that's right looking at the situation, though, at the time, I don't know that anyone predicts that's the way that it ends up. I would like to think that in my response, there was a little bit of charm in the way that that was sent back, and I was able to capitalize on the moment, and maybe, like, if I had caught it and I had deleted it, like, the charm factor and the, like, that's really surprising. You're not expecting to get that. Like, I lose something, and maybe we don't ever go out, and maybe this never happens. I don't know. Like, We can't ever really know. Maybe she gets it and she's just like, "I am never writing this dude back ever," and that would seem like a perfectly reasonable response. Maybe, maybe she's like in the the, in the middle of a really busy workday and she's scanning it. She's not really reading it, and she just misses it altogether. And like, it just doesn't become a thing. And we like, maybe we end up together. Maybe we don't. Who knows? And we don't have this like really weird start of a relationship um maybe she just pretends that it's not there but in the back of her mind she's like this guy is a nut job i don't know um maybe maybe she writes back and is like i'm in (laughs) and i'm like what are you talking about and i look and i'm like did i just ask her would she bear my children and she says yes If that happens, I'm out. (laughs) My point is this. This could have gone a lot of different ways if not for the loving kindness of God. Like what this story, albeit silly, what it hopefully shows us is that clearly I needed some divine intervention. Guys, it could have gone a lot of different ways for Ruth. It could have gone a lot of different ways for King David. It could have gone a lot of different ways for Jesse. She could have chosen to have left Naomi, to stay in Moab, and to have married a different man. It's a really reasonable call. It was probably the smarter call, but the loving kindness of God. She could have ignored Ma- Naomi on that first day that she was there and gone to a different field, a field where like it seemed like it was more prosperous, but the loving kindness of God. God. She could have skipped dinner on her first day in the fields in chapter 2 and never talked to Boaz which is the first place where they spoke but the loving kindness of God she could have said I'm Naomi like I'm not going to the the threshing floor women are not allowed on the threshing floor but the loving kindness of God like what she what she could have done what Boaz rightly points out is that she had opportunities to pick like younger wealthier probably better looking men she those opportunities she was a young woman boaz was not young and he had money but there were wealthier people than him he says that but the loving kindness of god she could have tried to deal with those legal negotiations herself with naomi and it probably would not have gone well but the loving kindness of god like, this is where the text of scriptures actually collide with the text of our life, with the context of our life. Think of all of the different ways that the said, the loving kindness of God, created a way to give you access to this royal bloodline that we've been talking about the entire night. It could have gone this way, but it actually went this way. Because of the loving kindness of the Lord. It could have gone that way, but there was this thing that was seeming to almost guide it this way, and it was the loving kindness of the Lord. Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, what then are we supposed to say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he would not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ has died, and more than that, he was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble separate us? Shall hardship separate us? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Will trouble separate you from the love of God? No. Will hardship separate you from the love of God? Will persecution separate you from the love of God? Did famine or nakedness or danger or the sword separate Ruth from the chesed of God? Or will it separate you? Let's keep reading, no, in all things, in all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He keeps writing, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in the entirety of creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Brothers and sisters of Eastern Fellowship, this is about Bloodlines. And because of the chesed of God, there is now royal blood running through your veins. It could have gone another way. It could have been you in an internet cafe on MySpace doing something, and yet the love of God would not allow a different way. I'm going to invite the band to come up and this is where this is where i want to land us for tonight as we transition to a time of response um, when we i'm going to open us with prayer in a second and then i'm going to ask our prayer team to go to the walls we have the benefit of reading ruth knowing that it ends well in ruth's life she had she did not know where it was going all she saw that there is this woman named Naomi who was able to see what God was doing in her hometown. That's where the story starts. And ultimately, for us, the thing that we need is not to know always where it's going, but to know where it ends. We know where the story ends, that we will, for our entire days with Jesus Christ, live in the land of the living. That's where the story is going. Now where we are now and where it's going we don't always know. but the thing that gives us the courage to be like Ruth, to step into a, a personhood of honor is, is because she is able to look at the past and know what it is that God was doing. She was able to see the chesed of God. There is a spiritual reality for many of us where because certain things have happened in our life that there is a spiritual block from us seeing the loving kindness of God. And the thing that keeps us from living to who God has created you to be, to live into the authority that he has given you because you're royal blood in you now, because you've been adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is the fact that you can't see all the places in your life where his loving kindness has been present. And there is a block And the thing that you need more than anything else is to have eyes to see. In the same way that Ruth could see it, and then David could see it, and Jesus could see it. And now we get to see it because we get to read it with this thing in hindsight. There's this spiritual thing like, you can know what the right answers are, but it doesn't matter if you don't have the spiritual eyes to see all the ways in which God was able to take all these strands of your life and to weave them into something that I may not know what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after or the day after, but I know where the story ends. And so there's an opportunity for us to live more faithfully and more fully into what it is to be the people of God tonight. To sharpen our skills with the spirit inside of us, to see all the ways in which God has been faithful. All the ways in which he has given us his has said his loving kindness even in the midst of circumstances that we could not possibly understand. So I'm going to pray for us tonight. I'm going to ask that the Lord would bless this response time. I'm going to ask that our prayer team, if you want to go ahead and line the walls, um, a response in prayer is something that we do very regularly, pretty much every week here at Easton Fellowship. Um, it, it's, our, it's our belief that we, we are all in need of prayer. And so whether it's this that I'm talking about or something else, we would invite that you respond in prayer at least once a month, at least once a month. This is a time where you can receive prayer. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask for the freedom to fall through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, if there are things that would block us from seeing what it is that you have been doing for the last week, for the last year, for the last decades, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would take those things from our eyes so that we could see with your eyes, Father. Lord, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that you want to say tonight to each of us or to our collective body, we want to say, yes so we give you this time, we bless it, we consecrate it, we set it aside, and we say that it is yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just a sense that uh, there's a particular... Uh, There might be a particular word that God has for a few folks here tonight. Um, I I think there there are two things that different people can say to themselves. The first, um, and they're related. The first is, um, Lord, this thing has happened to me, and I don't know that I'm ever going to recover. I didn't choose it. It happened to me. Um, Very very similar to the story of Ruth. Those are things that happened to Ruth, and I don't know that I'm going to recover. The second is this. Um, Lord, I made these choices. And I, um, I think I have screwed this up. And I'm done. Uh, and, f- for, for, and I'm not saying this is for everyone. I'm just saying for... I think there are a few people who are saying one of those two things or two of those two things tonight. And I just want you to know it's a lie. Mm.
1: Thank there you, is
0: nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. That can separate you, not just from the love of God, but the plan, the will, and the purposes of God. You cannot screw it up so far beyond repair that God cannot just sweep it with his sasset yeah. into his plan and his purposes. Yeah. A hundred years later, Ruth's great-grandson is being, is being chased, and there's, there's a man who is trying to kill him. And he has all the power in the world, um, and he is hiding in a cave. And this is what he wrote. I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You, and this is his instructions, and this is how I want to send you out tonight. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Brothers and sisters of Easton Fellowship, may you go in the name, the authority, and the power of Jesus Christ. Will you wait on his power and not act in your own? And when you live in the peace, the prosperity, and the promises that Jesus has for you. Go in peace tonight. Thanks for coming. Though the earth give away,
1: though the mountains fall to sea, though the waters are ro- I will cling to thee, there is no fear, as I look upon. you